Good morning. We're continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians. I think this is our eighth week, and we happen to be in chapter 8. So, to begin with, I wanted to show you my smoke detector. And I'm just going to pose a rhetorical question, so don't feel you have to try to answer it. And that is, what does this smoke detector have in common with Paul's message, at least in the first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 8? And of course, like most smoke detectors, it even has a nice little sound, which is for what? For warning. So that's the answer. Warning, warning, warning. There's lots of things Paul wants to warn us about. And so to focus in on sort of the center of the chapter, verse 9, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And then going back to the very first verse, when we look at this, we see that even knowledge itself can be dangerous. And you think, really? How can knowledge be dangerous? After all, in Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, again, there's different types of knowledge. Because what Paul is warning about is our human arrogance. He points out in verse 1 that knowledge puffs up. What does that mean? It makes us feel important. And then he points out what, what is really important. He goes right on to say it's love that builds up. And so if, if we go to the Bible, we can see a very clear example of how that knowledge can be very dangerous. Going back to 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 through 24, it's talking about Solomon. And the whole world is so impressed with Solomon, they're seeking his audience. And everyone wants to meet him and to hear his wisdom that God has put in his heart. But there's danger. That type of knowledge can puff up. And we know if you've read your Bible, the rest of the story of Solomon, he didn't finish very well. Because his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. So what went wrong? Well, part of it, I think he was obsessed with sex. Why do I think that? Well, he had 700 wives of royal blood and then 300 concubines. A person doesn't end up with a thousand wives overnight. I mean, this is an ongoing situation. And, of course, that ignores things. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it warns about a variety of things for kings. And this is before Israel even has a king. In verse 16 of Deuteronomy 17, it says, Don't acquire great numbers of horses or go to Egypt to get them. Well, what did Solomon do? He built these elaborate chariot cities and went to Egypt to get lots of horses and lots of chariots. Also, in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 17, it says, Don't take many wives. And it tells why. Because they'll lead your heart astray. And then it goes on to say, Don't acquire large amounts of wealth. And then it tells you, what should you do? Study God's law and remain humble. Because God knows that knowledge can puff up. And in Solomon's case, I think part of it became, you know, I'm so smart, rules don't really apply to me. I've got this. I can handle this. I don't need to follow your rules, Lord, especially about women, about gold, about building up my chariot cities. 
But we know when we turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, it points out that Solomon's wives did turn his heart away from the Lord. And it resulted in the kingdom being divided. So one of the problems we have with getting puffed up is we can get caught up in that mentality. Basically, it's a show-off mentality. You always want to raise your hand. You always want to give the answer. You always want to add to the discussion. You know, if somebody talks about a situation they've had, then immediately you jump in and start talking about something with you. You're always pointing the conversation back to you, trying to be the center of attention. And that's dangerous. It may make us feel good. It may make us feel important. But it can hinder. And one of the commentaries I looked at, they put it this way. Because when you go back to verse 1 of chapter 8, it's really talking about a dispute over different things that were sacrificed and idols. And this is what this commentator says. Meat bought in the marketplace was likely to have been symbolically offered to an idol in one of the many pagan temples. Animals were brought to the temple, killed before an idol as part of a pagan religious ceremony, and eaten at a feast in the idol's temple, or taken to butchers who then sold the meat in the marketplace. And some believers wondered if eating such meat, they were somehow participating in the worship of pagans. Well, Paul's addressing this because he's pointing out that this knowledge can be a dangerous stumbling block because the real antidote to this issue of getting puffed up is love. And love is more important because it builds up. As the old saying goes, people really don't care what you know until they know you care. So this commentator goes on and says this. Paul addressed these words to believers who weren't bothered by eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Although idols are phony and the pagan ritual of sacrifice to them was meaningless, eating such meat offended some Christians with more sensitive conscience. And Paul said, therefore, if a weaker or lesser mature believer misunderstood their actions, they should out of consideration avoid eating meat offered to idols. And then he goes on to explain why. Because love is more important than knowledge. Love can, knowledge can make us look good and make us feel important. But we can all too easily develop an arrogant, know-it-all attitude. Many people with strong opinions are unwilling to listen and learn from God and others. We can obtain God's knowledge only by loving him. James 3, 17 and 18 talk about that. And we know and can be known by God only when we model him by showing his love. And again, as we're looking at these verses 1 through 13 in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, another potential danger jumps out to me. And that's the danger of experience. Now, experiences can be good or bad, obviously. But they can also be dangerous. And in a movie that came out recently, The Jesus Revolution, points out this danger. This is based on a true story. It's told through the eyes of Greg Glory. And he, of course, established in 1973 Harvest Christian Fellowship, which today has grown to 15,000 members. But this Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s was something that was just very confusing to the established Christians. And the story points out 
how this pastor, Chuck Smith, pastor of Calvary Chapel, ends up through a series of circumstances welcoming this hippie pastor, Lonnie Fishby. And of course, welcoming this group of people into his church created some problems because they looked different. They talked different. They acted different. And so the inclusion of these people into the regular congregation created conflict. And some of the longstanding members left in protest because in their experience, this is not how you act as a Christian. To the credit of the congregation, most stayed. And they developed meaningful bonds with these Jesus freaks or these hippies and walked with them in their life journey with Christ. Because change is hard. And if it's bothering us in our church how someone dresses or whether they have tattoos or whether they have a hat on inside the church, you have to think about this. What is your emotional responding to? Because I heard a speaker once, I think his name was Chuck Swindoll, it might have been Gary Smalley, I don't remember for sure, so I'll give credit to both. They talked about our emotions being like the warning lights on a dashboard. And that when that light is flashing, yeah, we have to address it. But how do we address it? We need to address it by focusing on what love demands, because love builds up. Hopefully you don't go up to people and tell them, you need to dress differently if you're going to come to this church. Or, when you're in here, keep your hat off. Because what could happen? Someone with a tender, sensitive mindset who's faced lots of rejection may just feel that they've just been rejected again. And they may not come back to the fellowship. So we don't want to put a stumbling block up because love builds up. Romans 14, 13 says, don't put a stumbling block or obstacle in people's path. And 1 John 2.10 again tells us how to avoid that by being able to live in the light. And if we live in the light, then nothing will make us stumble. And there's many other dangerous things that at first don't seem dangerous, and we don't have time to cover all of them. But the next one that came to my mind as I was working on trying to communicate what is Paul trying to say to us today, it's comfort. And that's another danger. Again, that warning, warning light flashing, because we feel uncomfortable. We have that tendency to want others to look like us, to think like us, and to act like us. But that becomes very limiting if we're trying to share the gospel with a hurting world. So like in our church service, sometimes we sing songs that are in a different language. So check yourself. What's your reaction? Are you annoyed or are you challenged? Are thoughts going through your mind? Why can't we just stick to English? But what if the challenging that you're facing because you don't speak that language makes it more welcoming for people of other cultures? What if that song that we sing in another language helps broaden our perspective to realize that the Christian community just doesn't consist of our small congregation? That we as a fellowship have a broader purpose with a large world that's hurting? So how do we address that? Well, part of it is learning what's effective. And there's two different missionaries that both lived in the 1800s who received criticism because of the way they conducted their missionary. J. Hudson Taylor is one from China Inland Mission, 
Amy Carmichael's the other. And what they got criticized about, I'm sure there's other things, was how they dressed. Because they adopted the dress of the culture where they were ministering. Amy Carmichael adopted the dress of the Indian women in the villages where she was working, wearing the saris, if I'm pronouncing that right, and refusing to sleep on a bed. She slept on a mat at night because that's what the local people did. J. Hudson Taylor wore the Chinese dress and had very high standards for his people working with his missionaries to learn the language well of the people that they were going. He studied the Chinese culture. He ate Chinese food. He ate it with the implements that was used by the Chinese. And that was quite contrary to the missionaries that were going out at that time period, most dressed and behaved like Europeans. But again, part of this is just not putting up a stumbling block. The desire to imitate Christ and having that profound respect for the local culture and striving with all that's within us to be able to share Christ in a way that people can accept. So how do we go about doing that? In one of the devotionals I've been reading from Nicky Gumbo, I think he gives us some good advice. He doesn't address this chapter in 1 Corinthians at all. But he talks about six years ago, how the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and another individual by the name of Pete Gregg decided they wanted to launch a prayer movement. And this prayer movement actually became worldwide with many different denominations participating in it. And part of the reason I think it did is because of their simplicity. And this is what I think we can focus on, too, if we want to focus on building up in love. And the three things they encouraged people to pray for was simple. One, that all Christians would find new life in Christ. That was the first thing you were to pray for. And the second thing was that all people you meet might see something of Jesus in you. And then for the church to overflow with the reality of Jesus' presence. And if we focus on those three things, I think we'll avoid the dangers of the stumbling blocks. We won't be worried about whether someone's wearing a hat or has tattoos or have holes in their jeans. We won't be worried about whether the song is in English or some other language. We'll be worried about our Christians here in this group that's gathered together finding new life in Christ. Are people seeing something of Jesus in me? And is our church ready to be overflowing with the reality of Jesus' presence? That, I think, would be a great antidote to the stumbling blocks that Paul was warning us about. If you join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you give us knowledge. Keep us humble, though, so the knowledge doesn't puff us up. Help us to focus on love that builds up in a way that we embrace people that are different than us to encourage them in their journey to experience the reality of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.